For the Folger Geniuses podcast, you should know that we will always choose the blackest option. And in this episode, we're joined by the authority of black culture and queerness, storyteller and filmmaker Amber J. Phillips. She sits down with us to talk about her debut short film, Abundance. Abundance is a three-part short film exploring the limitation and radical possibilities of identity from the perspective of a dated political, black storyteller, and a pop culture enthusiast with black, queer, feminist intention. Abundance is a love letter to dark-skinned, black, fat, and queer women all over the world. Stay with us as we explore this space with Amber J. Phillips. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the vulgar geniuses podcast we're your hosts my name is Benny, and i am veronica and today and today, today. this episode is i've we've been dreaming <laughs> about this episode ever since we got the scheduling date and we are so hyped and so ready today we are talking to the wonderful miss amber j phillips Woo-hoo! she is a storyteller creative director and reproductive justice activist whose work imagines a world where Black womanhood is an abundant, overwhelming experience of safety, pleasure, and joy. Amber's work draws on her life as a Black, fat, queer, femme auntie from the Midwest. Amber is devoted to using radical Black imagination to create stories, art, culture and community and like we said we are here to talk about her wonderful uh short film debut i think it's a debut is that correct it's definitely a debut it definitely is a, debut. a new to me type and, of situation and it it, <laughs> it blew everybody out of the water um abundance is the name of her film it is a three-part short film exploring the limitations and radical possibilities of identity from the perspective of a jaded political Black storyteller and pop culture enthusiast with Black queer feminist intentions and no white cis heterosexual men were involved in the making of this Period. film. Amen. Hallelujah. Period. They were not around. They were not on set. <laughs> they were not consulted. They were not brought into the process. They were not honored. They are completely not present. And we bow down. So if you're if you're looking for that, that's a different short film. That's not this one, okay? Okay. <laughs> Abundance will be screening online and in person at Black Star Film Festival starting August 6th. If you are in the Philadelphia area, you may join Amber on August 6th at 8 p.m. for the in-person screening. Now, the the Black Star Film Festival, it is starting on the 6th and it goes until when for you? Actually, Black Star is starting on the 4th. Oh, the Our um, screenings will start on the 4th. They're doing in-person stuff, but Abundance will um, start on the 6th. And it's similar to the situation that we have with the premiere, which is like, you get your ticket, you get to experience it with everyone. You have like 24 hours for playback. But the really cool thing that I'm super excited 
excited about is not only will people who aren't in Philadelphia be able to watch Abundance online through Black Star and the incredible lineup that they have created, but you can also come in person um, and watch it on a big screen, apparently, which will be my first time seeing it beyond like my TV, you know? Yeah. So that's really exciting for, for me and everyone who was involved. I just, we're thrilled. <laughs> In addition to uh, the Black Star Film Festival, you will also be a part of the Art Justice Cohort exhibit in uh, Soho Photo Gallery in New York yes. City. And that will yes. be starting on August 12th and it will run until September 5th. And it has a, a special screen opening. The night screening will begin at 5 p.m. on August 12th. Um, on Eastern Standard Time. Y'all, if you are on the, on the East Coast, you don't want to miss these two uh, showings, especially yes. if you're in the Northeast area. I'm so envious of anybody that's in Philadelphia and <laughs> able to see this in person. Um, but yes. we just want to say congratulations on this Thank film. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it blew us out of the water. <laughs> it has definitely been a, a blessing um, for us to be able to witness this project so we're going to go and ask the first question and we want to know will you talk to us about your journey into abundance and how this not only become the moniker in which you go by uh, but your chosen way of life yeah so my journey into abundance so um where do i even start <laughs> what a good question um so I actually started going by Amber Abundance, like online, you know, when you release something online, it makes it real, I guess. But I started going by Amber Abundance um, in 2019, in March, after taking a month long sabbatical um, with my best friend in Brussels, which um, was necessary because up until that moment, like I graduated, I, I was always like the go, go, go type of person. And one of my big dreams from the time I was um, a teenager was to like move to DC and work in politics. Um, and then in 2008, that was kind of solidified by the presence of this black family in the White House, of course, as I'm developing my political analysis on what I actually want to see be achieved in the world. And it doesn't start nor stop at a black president. Right. So um, when I was working in D.C., pre predominantly around um, reproductive rights issues, reproductive justice, like that is what I was committed to. This whole idea of like organizing my way out of a job, like the issues that I was that was always my goal, the issues that I was working on, that I wouldn't be the one to be working on those for long term or that they would become less problems. But as we know, um, our, our nonprofit industrial complex isn't actually set up to address some of the big issues that Black people face, that queer folks face. Like we kind of just raise awareness um, and try and get someone to agree to policy. But what is our life like right now? And I realized after a lot of the conversations I was having as an organizer, which of course I loved that time in my life, like it has informed me so much, but it got to a point where, um, you know, we talk about finding your political home, like being able to find an organization to volunteer with and so on and so forth. But what I learned, especially being in somewhere like 
um, the nation's capital is that there's a whole community in Washington, D.C. that doesn't just live in downtown D.C. where a lot of these national multi-million dollar organizations exist. And when I started to get into the actual fibers of D.C., into the fabric of the DMV, um, specifically through queerness, right? Like when I was coming out, I'm like, okay, where the gays at? Where we at? Um, and I just really was able to see the difference between that, this kind of like coming together for the, for a, the purpose of work versus coming together for the purpose of living. And it pushed me to think of myself as my first and most important political home. Because how I feel about myself, how I'm treating my family, how I treat my friends, even if we look at Black feminism, like Black feminism is the practice between one another. It's not just what you read or what's on your bookshelf, right? Mm -hmm. So um, after 2016, when I can cuss, right? This is called vulgar geniuses. For a reason. (laughs) (laughs) So when when that dumbass, when that asshole got in the office and it, it, being in DC around that time, you saw how easy it was to elect a racist because a lot of liberal democratic um, politics, they are racist. Like that is a unifying force with Americans is anti-blackness, hating a particular type of person. So after he won, I was like, oh, I I definitely can't continue to do this. And it just led to this process of self-discovery, which um, one one thing I really became in tune with is how exhausted I was. So I decided that um, I was going to work my way into quitting my job. And then I was going to work up to being able to take a whole month off. And I ended up doing that in Brussels with my best friend. And we traveled to different cities. Like we were able to go to Paris and um, Berlin. And I remember right before I went to Paris, I had a conversation with one of my good homegirls and she's like, you know, Amber, you can be and do whoever you want. You can call yourself whoever you want. And people will just have to respond to that. You can't be beholden to who you were to people before. And that's when I decided that I was like, well, Um, I think at the time my Instagram name was Amber J. Phillips. People knew me as the high priestess of Black Joy from my podcast, The Black Joy Project, The Black Joy Mixtape. And um, yeah, I just decided that was the shift that I was going to make. It was very, it was easy. It was easy to do. So choosing abundance really started off with me seeing myself as worthy of protection, worthy of being defended, worthy of creating my own politic through how I moved through the world. And that was a big part of it was abundance, my queerness, my fatness, um, and all that kind of came together with that name that I just kind of gravitated towards. And it's so interesting now because people are honest to God call me Amber Abundance, like even out in the world. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, it feels like a good mirror. It feels like I'm moving in the right direction. And we on that train right along. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you decided to make that change for your name, did you ever get any resistance to it from anyone? Or was it just like, okay, let's go? Yeah, I, I haven't faced much. Um, I think sometimes a lot of, for the most part, I feel like black girls like myself fly under a lot of people's radars. Like people are like, Oh, that's what you're doing. Like I even getting to this moment with the short film, like I've been saying that I wanted to do that for years and people are like, okay, 
you know, be, besides my really close friends who are like, oh, that would be amazing. You totally have the ability to do that. Like, I think sometimes whenever um, fat, black, dark skinned women are talking about ourselves versus what we want to do for everyone else, people are like, oh, a whole wait and see. But of course, when something is asked of me or required, if I don't move quick enough, then I become selfish or um, self-involved. And it's like, no, I'm actually just saying no to you. You can say yes to you, but I'm saying this is what I, this is the world I want to build. Would you like to come along? And I didn't really get that. I didn't really get resistance more. So, um, just kind of indifferent sometimes, to be honest with you. I think people don't, when it comes to the success of Black girls, people don't think fat meat is greasy until it's popping them in the face. You know what I mean? So, no, I didn't get no resistance. <laughs> <laughs> How, important, How important is it to, to you to surround yourself with people that share the same thinking or inspire you to continue to be to be abundant or were you the catalyst of this group to start this fire of creative expression? Yeah, I think um, surrounding yourself with people who can see you is critical Um, and not just see you for what you've done or what you can do for other people, but really see you for how you are self-actualizing yourself. And, um, for me, surrounding myself with, I always talk about choosing the Blackest option, and I mean that shit. Like, being in community with Black people continues to save my life. Like, I don't know a deeper kind of care than that of the Black folks that I surround myself with, the queer Black folks that I surround myself with. I think one of the biggest lessons that I'm learning coming out of Um, you know, we're still in a pandemic. I don't know if you all heard, but we're still in a pandemic. It seems a little different than the the one we entered in 2020. But a thing that I had to reckon with myself as I like started to move about the, the, the world again was how many spaces I was thriving in as a Black queer person that were contingent on me not being out that were contingent on me not being the fullness that I am. So I feel like now we're going through um, one of the glorious things that this time has brought us is our ability to choose. You don't have to hang out with everybody if you don't want to. You really don't. And I, I know some people are hearing this and be like, what? Like, literally, you do not have to hang out with anybody. You And you, and you have a perfectly good excuse called COVID-19. Yes. For why you can't come. And when I tell you I lean heavily on that bitch, like, (laughs) I'm not, if I don't feel like I can exist in my fullness, I just cannot bring myself to come, like, (laughs) double entendre. But um, if I feel like I can't show up as my full self, I'm just not going to be there. And I deserve that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I deserve to be in spaces that are prepared for me because that's the space that I find my that's my home my home is prepared for me so I'm not going into spaces that aren't and I think that the friends um the core group of people that I have around me get that and I think the new people that I'm um allowing into my life understand that as well it's just it's no hard feelings it's just I can't come Sorry. you know Sorry. And that, that kind of stuff is what leads to, um, dynamic friendships, um, our ability to care for each other more intentionally. And of course, um, really intentional art. Some of our, you know, some of the best, 
the moments that we're in right now are through um, sometimes the artist journey can seem very singular, but it's definitely always contingent on collectives. Artists are riffing off of each other, right? We're having conversations, not just with ourselves, but our partners or maybe the people we talk to once a week um, who might have a different medium. So you have to be aware of that as a creative of what you're allowing into your space because it comes out in the work. And I truly believe that. So if I wasn't surrounding myself with other people who look like me, who came from the same experiences that I have or willing to listen to those, my art would look a little different, um, which is why in abundance, one of the final stories is kind of like honoring all of that. It's honoring where I came from as well as my friends who I'm with now, you know, my chosen family. Um, in addition to how my, my biological family taught me how to build and honor the family that I can, that I continue to build. Yeah. I'm just in, I'm just in awe. You, you gotta understand. Cause I, when I watched your film, I was like, this is a person that is like, I called you self-actualized. And I was, mm. I was giggling like in my heart when you used that term for yourself. Mm. Cause I was like, I think everybody deserves to be to be self-actualized and yes when we were having these conversation me and veronica were like that was like i think the one that like sat with me the longest like how how to get there how to be there and one of other one of your other short films you we were talking about you know how we are not by ourselves. there is a community there's people that are surrounding us that help us grow help us live mm -hmm. and us would be accountable for each other I think that was like the billionaire stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's there's something that speaks to um like the ability to say what you're going to do mm. and who you're going to do with it that is not just freedom but it is liberation there's mm -hmm. liberation in going out and and doing that and so in your film um abundance that, that you have brought to us you have it split into three sections right yes. and so you're talking about being fat your anger and being queer how did you come to that realization that you wanted to make a short film on those three subjects in your life and and will you speak about the collaboration on um, this project with the director kim allen yeah so uh, how did those three pieces come so typically when i start a story I like put everything up. I put every story that I want to tell. Like maybe it was the memory, like for fat, it was like, I kind of want to reframe this American Airlines situation. For anger, it was always, um, at first that story was really about the fact that my mom sent me to therapy, but I was like, what was on the other side of that? How did I actually get to being able to honor and use my anger. And I realized it was my Aunt Gail teaching me how to crochet. And then for the final film, um, I, I sometimes go back to that and be like, what did I actually, you know, you, you, I've had to watch it a couple of times now, especially in its completion and talking to other folks like you all about it. But for me, it was, um, for me, it was, when I thought about my grandmother's funeral and how much she gave to our church, it just felt like such a shame that my, I felt as though my church could have honored her better. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I know my family honors my grandmother. Like everybody loved her. She was perfect. Like, um, 
And my attachment to that is I wish my family could see my queerness the way they saw my grandmother as basically worthy to be honored. So the way abundance first started to come together was anger was the first story I wrote and I actually performed it with the moth. And around that time, I realized that I would get the, basically the funding to do another piece. And I thought I would just choose one, but of course I'm always about pushing some limits when it comes to money. Um, And then I really laid out like, what all could I say? And could I say it all in 30 minutes? And that's when the other stories just, they just popped out at me and they, they worked um, together. They worked together because I think that when it comes to identity, we want to be seen for who we are, but we don't want it to stop there because a lot of how people take in me specifically, I feel like it's through a bunch of other shit. That's not actually mine. Like, I don't think people are actually asking me what my real story is. They're doing it based on the limited representations of Amber's that exist out in the world. Right. Like we only have Lizzo, like we only have so much. And, um, Yeah. So that's kind of the stories just found each other. Like when I realized I was talking about identity and the limitations of that, of course, I want to talk about fatness. Of course, I want to talk about queerness. But then the other piece was, um, you know, I'm just I whenever I'm direct, I'm described as angry. So let's go for it. Like, I'm actually not I'm not opposed to that, that moniker. And we have every fucking right to be upset about the, a lot of shit that happens to us. Um, how do we, how do I not hold that back from y'all? Because I feel like you need to see my anger, but how do I maintain myself amongst my anger? And that's really what that story is about. It's not more so how do I present to the world, but how do I not get taken in to the tide of a lot of this oppressive bullshit people put on us? So when I realized that I could tell the story, Kim and I had worked on a, I also write, or was writing um, political messages, like um, helping people create, how do we want to talk about um, economics and politics? How do we want to talk about that in relationship to race? Because, you know, we have political candidates like Bernie Sanders who refuse to do both at the same time. Or how do we talk about gender in regards to reproductive health rights and justice without only centering cis heterosexual women, right? So um, th- that was kind of the work that I was doing. And through that work, also, we should. it's fair to mention that a lot of the folks who are writing political messages specifically for our communities aren't typically black. They aren't typically from those communities. So um, in my entry point into that, it was also important for me to not only be the one crafting and helping to craft progressive messages, but when we go to film those messages, how can we make sure that those communities are also behind the camera that they are helping to actually put on the visual. So I met Kim through that of like, really wanting to do something that was um, geared, it was going to be targeted towards Black women. Why wouldn't we have Black women working on the project? So we met through that and it was just great. We we really got to like test the limits of what we could make and it came out really good. So when I had the opportunity to work with Kim again, I was like, oh, it's a no brainer. I'm going to have Kim help me with this. And she was so game. Our DP was game. All these folks were game based off of the story. 
they saw it and they're like, okay, we can help you help you make this come to life. Right. Because it all starts with the story. What are you going to say? So, yeah, that was my collaboration with Kim, who is just like really um, iconic in her ability to take what is being asked or what's needed for the story and kind of help me bring those elements together in order to tell it. Um, so that's, that's how we collaborated on that. Um, and why, like, yeah, it was, I love working with Kim. <laughs> how long was this, uh, the filming process for you? And did, was it over a course of a few days? Was it in one day that you were? We actually filmed it all in one day. We had set up the day before, so we did a half day, and then we got it all done in one day. And there was a moment where I was like, we're not going to get it all done. But everybody was just game, and they stayed until we finished. Um, I was delirious by the end of, I think it was like a 12-hour day or something like that. But they just stayed. They were committed. They were like, we're going to get these shots. And we filmed it all in my house. What? It's beautiful. <laughs> it's, one yes. of my favorite parts of the film is there are moments where you know you see yourself either on your sofa or in your mm-hmm. bedroom, but then there's a cutaway shot when you have when you're talking in the voice of someone else and it is just your mouth and it is yes. visually the best thing. <laughs> it, it, like we, I originally saw it at the very time you did the verse showing and then you did it again uh, through a, another project. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't until the second time that I realized I was like, wait a minute, now it's like really coming together. So mm-hmm. again, y'all, if y'all live on the East Coast, take that train from Philly to New York and see Do it, it. do see it. it. <laughs> What has yeah. been the reception since the film's release? Because, like, we are hyped, you know? <laughs> I'm hoping everybody else is hyped. But mm-hmm. what is, how did it, like, how, how is people's reactions to the, to the film? Yeah, I think we were in it. Even for me, um, there was a point where I was so deep in it that I felt like I couldn't see it for what it was. So when we got the first um, story finished, um, I had like a Zoom call with two of my good um, homies, um, Cecily, who has a book coming out, um, and Jasmine. And I was like, okay, I want to show y'all this just to see if y'all think I'm like, is this ridiculous? You know, like sometimes when you're in it, you're like, ain't nobody going to get this. (laughs) Um, And it was before we had a music and everything. And I sat and watched it with them. Oh, and my, my friend Tilly. Tilly was actually the first person I showed and she just sat there and like was trying like to hold in her tears. And I was like, so what did you think? And she couldn't talk. I was like, you got to let it out because you're making me so nervous. And we just like cry, laughed, you know? So having them watch it, especially because my, these particular friends are like mirrors to me. Like I resonate. They're my friends because I look at their faces and I can see my own. I look at their lives and I can see my own. So having their like approval was unreal. And then I think since it came out, I I even went back to my mom because I don't think, I don't think it was expected. You know, it's like, I had never seen anything like it. So that's why it was hard for me to take in sometimes of like, do I really need to be on camera like this? But that's a shame. That's a shame I haven't seen a body film like that before. Like, that doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. That means absolutely go and do it. So um, the, re- the 
people receiving it has just been unreal. I was on a call not too long ago um, with especially hearing from it from other communities of color, or other queer people has been like invaluable. Like I've heard people reflect back to me, even the Christianity pieces in it in ways that I didn't even, I didn't even see that part, you know? So it's always, every time I, you know, people are asking me why I want I just like keep it online. But I think that it's meant to be experienced in community. It's meant to be um, celebration and ceremony that we get to watch this together and debrief it together and be with each other in a film like this, instead of allowing it, just having it up to passively impact people's lives, which I'm sure at some point it will happen. But right now it feels really intentional and important to me to bring people together to watch it and then sit with what we just saw. So the reception has been uh, like amazing. Like there are folks who, um, who found it, who, you know, you can only hope they would see it like, and that has been really phenomenal. Like it's been very heartwarming and just um, affirming that we should just tell our stories. Yeah, I think all like your story was very universal. Mm. Like it is, it's just very relatable. Um, you could you could sit there, watch it, rewatch it, and you would identify with all of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where the where where the hell you came from. Yeah, but it's it's something that touches the heart. I think, and yeah, that's what. And Lorraine Hansberry says this too: like you can achieve the universal through the through being very specific and I felt that's that's what she said about her play Raisin in the Sun mm-hmm. um that was uh true for movies like film uh, Moonlight like it was about one neighborhood one one child who transformed three different times right mm-hmm. um and that's my hope I think that's the point of it all like the point of it all is to honor who I am which is this fat black queer auntie from the midwest but like for you to see that i'm you like treat me better you know or treat yourself better and i think that's what comes up too is like y'all a lot of people in our society treat other people who are different than them like shit because they treat themselves like shit correct that they are we all have to be a standard for how we engage with other people and until we address that we're going to be awful human beings to one another because we're awful to ourselves all the time and um even that's that's why it's important for me to talk about fat phobia fat phobia as a fat person like it took a a call it took this woman literally treating me like shit she didn't care if I had on a girdle or not she didn't care if I was stressing myself out once a week at the gym it didn't matter Right then when I met her, I was too big to be flying next to her, uh, according to her, right? And I want people to really address how many, who are they in those situations? Are you me or, you, or are you her? Are you making someone else shrink because you're not confident in yourself or who or believe that you deserve? Um, you know, you, we all get to play these parts in it. It's not just um, identity that dictates which part you play. We're all taught the same white supremacist capitalistic patriarchy, right? All of us can be a burden to somebody. All of us can oppress somebody and be just awful. So what are we doing in order to check that shit so that we have a more livable society when we're out in the world? Um, 
you just brought up one of the most pivotal parts of your of your film and you're talking about the flight um so before that infamous flight had you gotten to a spot where you were in total acceptance of your body and uh wasn't going to allow anyone to make you feel uncomfortable in your body or did you did you reach that after that experience yeah i think i reached it after i think before that moment um i was indifferent I felt like, um, you know, we have this term called carrying it well. Like if you carry your fat well, if you're built good and all this other bullshit. Um, and I think I had pride. I had a lot of pride in how I carried my fat, like that I was, you know, different than other fat people because, you know, there's there's just so much inner turmoil around fatness even amongst fat people like there's sloppy fats there's you know hanging it all out there's the girdle girls there's it's all these there's big fats there's small fats there's a lot going on even in our own community and um I felt like I wasn't reckoning with that like I was just I was okay with people saying to me like oh you're not even fat like you're not even that fat you just stick you know and it's like but why can't I only shop at this place then Mm -hmm. or when it's coming internally from other fat communities they're asking you to acknowledge your privilege of being like a smaller fat or a bigger fat like who has access to what and I think that um my proximity to being the right kind of fat prevented me from seeing how this fat phobia is really harming all of us. I think it wasn't even until the flight that I was willing to acknowledge that a lot of the, um, a lot of the sadness or um, barriers that I felt working in politics was because of my fatness was because of how dark my skin was. And I just wasn't, I was trying to outwork fat phobia. I was trying to outwork colorism. And that moment told me I can't, I have to acknowledge it. I have to name it. And I have to name it starting with myself that I can't rely on people's own internalized fat phobia um, to feel like I'm good enough, you know, like for you to lessen your desire for fat people by telling me, oh, you're not that fat. That's why I can date you. It's like, no, you dating fat people. Like I am a fat person. And um, around that time, I was, I, I was also going back and forth with an ex who literally one of her, one of the moments where she was like, quote unquote, apologizing to me was to name, instead of naming homophobia as an as a big issue for why and internalized homophobia for why our relationship didn't work um she was just like oh it's because you're fat and thought that I would get some kind of comfort from that knowing and I was like no sis that's not all that it is because that was the least of our worries when we were alone together right Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on with how you think you want to show up in the world versus how I show up in the world and our desires. Um, We try to act like desire isn't political and it is. So when people have desires that fall outside of 
the norm that fall outside of heteronormativity, they try and make it the other person's fault or they try to, um, uh, they try to say it's just preference. But what often ends up happening when their desires fall outside the norm is they end up making the people they date invisible Mm -hmm. or hiding them or um, belittling them in order to feel better about what they are actually attracted to, right? And, And we see this in some of the violent ways people treat fat women that they're dating. We see this in some of the violent ways people treat um, trans women that they're dating or trans people that they're dating where they try to hide them. And then when that comes to light, then they try to distance themselves through some of the most violent ways possible. Right. Um, So yeah, that flight really called all that into question for me and helped me be more intentional about the people that I allow into my intimate space as well as what I require from being in community with other folks as well. So yeah, I wouldn't say I was, I was, I've always for the most part been fine with my body, but this, this moment really forced me to look at what I was to not just be passively. Okay. But be celebratory of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I felt that because ever since I was, I was little, I was told I was fat. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be negative, but it's just a descriptor, like tall, like Mm -hmm. that's completely okay. My niece is, she just turned eight and she's fat and we, and she, you know, she's come home a couple of times and be like, people are calling me fat. And we're like, okay, we're not going to teach you that fatness is bad. Like, cause it's not, those kids are bullying you and that doesn't, don't allow that to shape how you see yourself. Like, and that, that's that self-actualization part. Like, y'all have no, I gotta, I gotta love this. I have to, this is, and I'm not saying you have to love your body, but for me personally, like I know what I need in order to exist in this world. And I know that I need to, when I go out that door, I need to at least be on my own side. So I try to practice that every single day of like, I'm going to be on my own side. I know y'all got y'all shit and y'all are going to protect it, um, project it onto this body. But here's what I'm choosing for myself. Here's what makes me feel good. And I'm going to try and exist in that as much as possible. It's not so much about love, but I just deserve that. I, I, I just believe I deserve to take up air. I t- deserve to take up space. And you're not going to tell me otherwise, whether or not I'm having a good day about my body or not. I'm alive. I'm choosing to be alive and I deserve that. And there's not shit I have to do in order for that to be true. Y'all can kiss my ass, actually. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I wish I saw this film when I was like, uh, when I was. Right, right. That's really my big goal around it too, is I want, I want to make stories for anybody who has to engage with my niece. Like, I want to change her, her, I want to change, not only solidify her worldview, but as much as possible, which is a tall order, be a part of the consciousness of other people who are in her atmosphere so that they aren't inflicting pain passively or they aren't teaching her how to hate herself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that That's really, to me, that's my big motivation in storytelling and making it pop culture. Like, I want Ohio to be able to rock with my shit. Like, I don't want it to only exist 
in the East Coast or in LA or in DC. Like I want my shit to make its way back to Columbus, Ohio, which is where I'm from and where my family lives. And once culture reach it reaches there, then it's it's rich, okay? Because right. the amount of people wearing Crocs out in Ohio is wild as hell. <laughs> um, so we know what it looks like when the culture reaches, you know? Yes, yes. And also yes. down here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we we're talking about the three parts of your film we're going we're going back to anger how do you set tension to guard your anger now that you know how to control it how do i set intention to guard my anger use the tension the tension how do i use tension um with my anger that's what you're asking me Mm -hmm. um yeah now um now i've clicked into refusal like that's my new shit is saying like just not coming like (laughs) um right now you know today um simone biles pulled out of the olympics and before that you had um naomi say she wasn't going to participate in parts of the olympics and so often a big part of our like black excellence model is like showing up and doing it no matter how you feel and like fuck that like for what actually and for who and for who for who for what and for why 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 who uh, me showing up what does that actually do for for me and the reality is because um these particular black girls are so lucrative it means more to everybody else than it does to them meanwhile it's their bodies on the line yes yes it's literally their bodies on the line making Nike, making the Olympics, making the U.S. proud, making Japan proud, making parents proud. But like, how do you feel? How do you actually feel? Are you all right? Are you okay? Because whether or not you nail the flip or not, if you hit the ball back or not, at the very end of the day, you have to go lay down. You have to sit with you. So I think this is really a moment, you know, when um, during the pandemic, uh, people are quitting their low paying jobs. All these things are happening. And it's like, yeah, let's start using refusal. That that's how my anger is showing up these days. That's a whole new piece of it is just saying like, I'm not coming. Like I just have to turn down, um, especially with the world opening up. I've been amazed at the things people want me to risk my health for, for them. Like, you really want me to show up in person to work for you. You're not paying me my rate. You're not making sure I have a proper hotel. You're literally doing nothing but being an audience member to whatever brilliance I decide to share. No, actually, we don't have, we just because we're invited everywhere doesn't mean we have to show up. And even when we get there, it doesn't mean we have to share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was a big thing I learned too like some of these conferences that I used to go to like there's always a mediocre white person in the corner not doing or contributing shit yep and most of the time those people are getting paid the most L- yeah. do you understand the most yes and, and it's they- amazing what happens when you say no where where people they rush to find the ability to do shit now like yeah. oh well we can oh we can do this oh but you weren't actually willing to make that space for you assume so many people assume just because they ask women to do stuff just because they ask non-white people to do things that we're going to say yes and I'm here to tell you that is not no longer the case right yep that's right but what were you saying 
Well, I, I lost that thought, but this thought came in mind. And that is like, I have a friend who recently he got very sick, sick. I think he probably caught the flu and he's mm-hmm. an assistant manager at his job. And he's the only black person that is the manager at his job. And he still chose to go to work. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you saving up all these sick days for what? For what? And like, also let's talk about how many of these organizations have not updated their sick policies since mm-hmm. COVID took, so y'all, y'all still only offering two weeks. Mm-hmm. Even if you get vaccinated, you out for at least 48 hours. Like right. it's, it's, it's bizarre. I think more of us, it doesn't, it, we need to practice refusal. And that's, to me, that's the least of my anger, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes practicing that shows people how nice I was being all along. So that, that's really when I'm, I'm, how I'm using tension right now is to know when to stop and to know when to rest prematurely because um, we got a lot of life. I got, I plan on being here for a long time. And if I really want that to be true, then I got to say no to some shit along the way. So um, in the way that I found who you mm-hmm. <laughs> was through one of our most favorite favorite like we love her to death authors that we've had on the show and that was through Disha Phil <laughs> yes we love Disha Phil y'all and we love she she did an interview with you you all had a discussion and I was like oh <laughs> like I need to know who this person <laughs> is <laughs> um and so in your discussion uh with with Disha you spoke about the significance of Eula in one of her one of her stories uh yes. her story of her books and uh in reg- and you were talking about it in regards of like your your relationship with your mother mm-hmm. and um, if correct me if I'm wrong but I think it was in regards to you wanting to come out to your mom but didn't want the relationship to change yes. and I just was curious as to like um what what was that conversation like when it happened did that that change happen and did it was it the change that you really desired for yourself to come from when you spoke to your mom yeah I think that well when I had the conversation with her she was very open but she did say something that that I looking back on it it was, it was a, a bound, it was a limit to how much change she could take. And it was in regards to gender presentation. Um, I think my mom has all girls and, you know, we're, we're from the Midwest, you know, and there's a certain way a black girl has to hold herself. I kind of talked about this with fatness. And I think my mom doesn't want me to go too far away from that. And the reality is I will. And I have, like, I, I'm not a high femme. I'm not, I've, I've not been able to execute that kind of, um, cuntness of it all. Right. I, I have to find my own way of presenting. And the reality is that was my hope is that our relationship, which is a weird thing of like, um, I've been listening to Sonia Renee Taylor talk about micromanaging the universe. The reality is our relationship had to change. Um, you know, some of the, the, the parts that we think that I thought about naively coming out was, um, 
I had a lot of assumptions about how far people's progressive politic went, right? Of like, oh, you're able to say you're an ally. What does it mean to actually be in community with queer people? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to actually practice that? Because a lot of people are claiming allyship for things that they only do when they're on the clock and practicing professionalism. But when it comes to the fabric of their lives, a lot of the people that they claim to be ally for aren't even a part of their lives, you know? So you really don't see the nitty gritty of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my relationship with my mom is shifting. That's just honest. And I think um, speaking to Disha and like remembering the conversation that we had and thinking about secret life of church ladies, it's just, you know, you grow up and you create new boundaries for yourself and I feel like I'm in, I'm in that moment with my mom right now of like, I still get to be who I want to be. And the thing that I was worried about was um, the change that I didn't want to want to happen was my mom asking me about every part of my life, but the gay part. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that we're, still working on like she asked me but it's not it's not like how can I make how can I better understand you and I I think I want that now like I want understanding I don't want just like um passive support like I want an intentional intentional curiosity around my life which I felt like you know moms always have that because they be nosy but I want her to be nosy in the direction of the information she's learning about me and from me also shifts and change how she moves to the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that we're still constantly working on, to be honest with you. So if somebody that is young and queer and black is listening and is having to go through the same, the same path as you are, what, what do you want to tell them? Yeah, I think, um, one, my, my journey is a little different because I, I feel like bodies like mine are always up against um, the phobias of the world, like the fat phobias, the trans phobias, the homophobia, like, because I'm, I'm not actually, I don't, I think Black people are doing gender completely different than what we think, right? And what the world is requiring us, like any ownership that I have over femininity, I have to have like stake my own claim because it's not readily given to me at all. Like people don't actually bestow that onto fat, black, dark bodies. So um, the thing I will tell people is find your community, like really surround yourself with other people who look like you, like not like for real look like you, you know, like people who have a similar some similar experiences that you have because you need someone to help you at the at the end of a day filled with gaslighting you need someone who can help you breathe in fresh air and that's what it's like being surrounded by other fat queer people for me um what I also want people to someone like me who is listening but is younger like allow yourself to be transformed you do not have to stay what the same. You can be whoever the fuck you want. You can shift it up, switch it up every couple of years. Like really allow yourself to stand in the knowing of who you are. And I think that is what I've done with, you know, this year I'm a filmmaker. I'm a writer. Like before it was an organizer, like every 
all of those transitions in my life, I stand up in them. No matter how long it takes me, that's always the goal is to be able to not just know it, but to live in it. Um, So I want people to do whatever it takes to give them that space um, to be who they actually are. Um, whether it's, you know, quitting a major, quitting a job, moving somewhere, really betting on yourself in order to get to who you are. Because again, like what I know to be true, what the pandemic taught me is that's who you got to be with at the end of the day is you. And are you okay with you? Can you look you in the, in the face and be like, okay, even when you're having a bad day. And that's, that's really, yeah, that's, I want to give people the permission to be something other than Olivia Pope. Like there's not one way to do this shit. Like there's not one way to do life. Like we get to be full and abundant and all these other things. And the way to do that is to practice with the self, whether it's like how you dress, what lip you put on that day, like really give, ask yourself, am I wearing this or am I wearing this for somebody else? Cause that was a big thing too, living in DC, like, I was always dressing for other people's perception of me, like this whole business casual shit. Like, is this actually what I want to wear? No, like, I don't want to wear this Ann Taylor dress. Like, so like, how can I, how can I really get as close to me as possible? And the way, what I'm learning, and it's still a learning experiment of like, it's about trying shit on. Like you really have to just reach for different things. If you see yourself in someone talk to them, like be with them. A lot of us come into knowing based on what we've seen out into the world or new people we get to meet. So that that's my biggest thing. And then rest. Like I wouldn't have got to Amber Abundance had I not been taking four weeks to do absolutely nothing but walk around downtown um, Brussels eating sweets. Like (laughs) that was important. I learned so much when I'm not worried about other shit. And that's my self-work is spending time with myself. So that's really what, what I think. And it doesn't take, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to come into that knowing because you got time, you know, you don't have to figure it all out now because the more shit I figure out, the more it's just like, okay, I don't need that anymore. Let's drop that off. Let's pick this up. Let's drop that off. Like, I'm sure you all have had those experiences too, where you're like, okay, this is not what I'm giving no more. Like, let me shave my head. Let me do this. Let me switch these things up. Like really giving ourselves permission to play and be in our fullness, even if it's just for like, it's a costume, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know if y'all have ever been to Afropunk, but whenever I, when I went to Afropunk for the first time, I'm like, what are y'all dressed like on Monday? Like (laughs) for one day y'all in like fairy wings, like what's Monday giving, you know, like those kind of things, giving yourself those kind of environments to like self-actualize for real. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. (laughs) I I find that funny because I have, uh, I have two nieces and my youngest niece, she's, she's 19 now. And, uh, I see her when, you know, like if I were to go to Baltimore and I'm hanging out and she's home, you know, she's got on regular teenage clothes, right? Yeah. But then I go on her Instagram and I see like you got the, like the furry top and the, all the makeup and the the Y2K of it all. Yeah. And it is the, it is the most beautiful thing, but I wish she would dress like that all the time Mm. just so that, you know, like, my my mom, her grandmother could just be like, okay, this is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is who, this is who she is. She's like, I'm gonna switch it up on y'all. But yeah, 
that's um you know when we were locked away I don't know about y'all but I bought some questionable clothing items and it just really forced me to double down on wearing some of this shit out like yep I'm showing up to the event in a billowy gown that's that's what it's giving today I hope y'all can deal <laughs> we've tried we've tried a lot of <laughs> Some of it worked out. Some of it is kind of like, who I don't I don't think so. We tried. We tried. <laughs> Amazing. Or dress, it never worked out. <laughs> or dress never worked out. So um, in addition to you being this amazing storyteller and uh you know, film artists and, and, and activists. Uh, another thing that I, I find so endearing is your love of music. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> all it from it ranges from you know from gospel to hip hop and rap. It is it, just yes. it is it touches my heart because as a few fellow music lover, it's just wonderful to see you talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And I know like you know, right now you've been um, glowing in the presence that is Lil Nas X. Period. My nephew. Uh, shout out to my nephew, Lil Nas X. He's, he's doing oh, damn thing. And, you know, it, it, really is, is. it is beautiful. And I love how he's driving everybody mad with <laughs> truly the glory is him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just curious, you know, I was wondering, is there a soundtrack for, for your abundance film? Is a there playlist? a playlist? Spotify? Yes. There's there's like at least two running playlists right now. There was one made by Jasmine Walker, the King of the South, Jazz on Your Mind, I think is also, if y'all follow me on um, Instagram, it's in my link in bio. One of the playlists is there. Then I had... Um, uh, with I I love music like music was was my first love like is my first love um I grew up singing in my church I played like two instruments across my life I'm going to pick up the guitar soon pray for me because I want to be able to strum out some songs when I'm old um but also um a big part of the release of abundance another thing that we created was kind of like this cultural organizing initiative called abundance fest So the weekend that Abundance came out, we had Abundance Fest that was musically directed by Sweet, also known as Shook's Line. There's Sweet Boy Speaks on Instagram. And they brought together um, a big part of like just the cherry on top of Abundance is the music that was done by Boom Scat, Asha and Patience, who are all of these folks are in the DMV, which is where I came to a lot of my like I feel like I came of age in Washington um, in the DMV and, um, Boom Scott did the original score for Abundance and then being around Sweet and their band, Black Folks Don't Swim, basically Sweet came in and did the musical direction for Abundance Fest and they all did a live set and it was like DJ Gina Marie warmed up the space and closed the space out. It was just this very magical moment of, not only Black queer stories, but Black queer sound, right? We know that music is just another form of storytelling. And for me, a very powerful one, because even without the words, you can transmit feeling. You can transmit uh, uh, a visual, you know, like uh, Frank Ocean makes us feel a type of way. He can transport us to a place through some of that music. And that's how I feel about Black Folks Don't Swim and Sweet and Boom Scat, that they are the, when I think of my time in DC, I hear them. 
I literally sonically hear the sound of Asha on the drums. Sonically, I hear patients singing at the party over top of love on top, you know? So, um, yes, basically my answer is yes. There are playlists. Sweet made a playlist as well. And when another great thing about anytime you're able to experience abundance, my hope is that you get to experience the music as well. So that's something we're bringing to Philly for Black Star um, that you all can look out for. We're going to announce that this week. Um, but yeah, music is every, I love music. Like if I weren't, if I could figure out how to rap for real, if I could figure out how to put my, some of those things I say to a song, I would, but I'm not there yet. Um, so yes, there's tons of playlists and I will give y'all access to all those just follow on the gram. Um, but Shug's line is definitely making some of those on, um, Spotify and so is Jasmine. Jasmine was my very first music director in life through the Black Joy mixtape. Um, she picked out a lot of our songs, continues to put me onto new female um, MCs and rappers, and I love her for that for always. Um, so yeah, I love me some music. <laughs> Thank you for that question. Because yeah. we, the, when we, when we were like watching it, and then you know we like we like to groove. Can we? <laughs> that's a different. That's a different story. But we were like, this is this this is something. Like we 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 like this. So yeah. thank y'all. That's amazing. So we had we had we had to have the music question because it's, <laughs> it's so prevalent to to who yeah. you know and everything. So in 2020, you released a video directed. Um, also directed by Kim Allen, like we talked about when mm-hmm. we, she spoke about Black people walking in the light of abundance. You mentioned a possibility of running for president. Uh, <laughs> you like, you know, if you need a Florida headquarters, <laughs> where do we sign up? <laughs> this needs to happen. Uh, yes, I'm I'm going to take the Donald Trump approach. That's the one thing he did well is he had no fucking experience when he ran for office. So once I'm done living my life and doing what the fuck I want to do, then I will run for office and y'all will be the first to know. How about that? All yeah. right. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting. Like, I think you have more experience. Um, I, 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 just off the, in this pinky, I have more experience. Okay, let's be clear. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so, you know, um, our podcast is mainly a a literary podcast. And, you know, after seeing what you have given the world, we we are curious to know if if there is a book inside you, is there a book that you're working on? Is there something that we're able to see? Please write. Please do. (laughs) Can can you make this happen? What is going on? You know, what's funny is... um, the first iteration of abundance besides being a live situation was I always like to think of my stories as I want people to be able to hear them. And then I want them to be able to read them. So it's so funny. You ask me, I'm, I'm honoring every time I get this question. Cause I was just um, here in LA, went to the reparations club for the first time, which is a bookstore. They have music. It's, it's amazing. Um, and this black woman queer ran and she asked me that question, like, do you want to write a book? So I'm saying it officially, like, absolutely, I have a book idea um, tucked in me. And I'm like, whatever gets a yes first, you know, like I have, I was um, talking to my friend about the next two projects I would like to do. And one of them, of course, is like, you know, I love multimedia. So if something's in book form, I want it to be visual as well. 
but um yeah i definitely want to write a book if there any anybody listening who can make that happen i i got the time especially we go into lockdown again like i would gladly sit there and pin something um and for me the the next the next works that i really want to focus on are about just the details of dyking like the details of what it means to form a to form your own queerness your own gender your own way of doing like I really want to write about that because I so I feel like you know there's there's great and thought like does your mama know and all these different pieces um there's secret life of church ladies um where you know I go to those books I go to Audre Lorde um to like readings um Audre Lorde taught me that queer like my heartbreak from my first relationship was real you know that even if the rest of the world didn't see our relationship as real or even if the person I was in relationship with didn't see it as real it was and I got to that understanding and I got to that peace through Audre Lorde like truly reading other queer stories has helped me situate myself and I think that I want, I really want to add to that canon. I want to add to the canon of discovering who you are, no matter what age you are, like everything you do and don't know. Like, I thought there was a right way to be queer. I thought there was a right way to be a lesbian. I thought there was a right way to do these things. And there isn't, there's only discovery and willingness to be in it. Um, so many people that I came into my queerness with, like, you know, when, when you start, when you go, some of your friends go too, you know, they were like, oh, well, I guess I don't only like men. And I've seen some of them transition back to not really wanting to carry the weight of being other through sexuality as well. And I'm like, what can keep us? What can keep us away from the confines of heteronormativity. Like, even if you are heterosexual, whatever that means, even if you are, you don't have to choose heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. That is that is a choice. So how can we open all of ourselves up to that? Like when I read the whole lesbian sex book, there's things in there that like, just everybody should know about pleasure. Like, everyone should know about pleasure. Everyone should be in that discovery around their bodies. And so much of heterosexuality and heteronormativity is situated on us not knowing those things, of us not knowing what more we can require or demand from the people we're in intimate partnerships with and from ourselves. So I really want to write about that. That is like the only thing I think about most days of like, if I were turning over a guidebook to someone in their thirties or in their twenties, um, like I went to a whole women's college y'all and still was like, Nope, the queer life is not for me. And it's because I was surrounded by white people, but I just could not access it through the shame, through everything I was programmed to believe. And my heterosexuality was just compulsive. Like it was because I had not practiced a different way of being. And the second I did, I realized, oh, this is not me, like at all. This has never been me, but I've been trying to make this work in order to make everyone else happy, even though I'm not. So I want to give us, when I came out online, one of the best things about that were some of the messages that I got from other, um, other Black women specifically who were like, 
yeah, I'm navigating my sexuality too, or I think I might be bi, or I'm, I'm, I've been in a relationship for years and I haven't told my family or really been able to own that for myself. And I think that, you know, with the, with, with the presence of, we got to be real about black sexuality too, because anytime black folks express sexuality, anytime communities of color express sexuality, it is shamed. It is shamed so deeply. Megan Thee Stallion is shamed. Like, uh, Cardi B is shamed. Little Nas X is shamed for being, daring to exist in a sexuality and not be white. So I think that we have to have more intentional conversations about that because I think it's what it, it aids rape culture. It aids the abuse that is so rampant in our communities because we don't feel like we can talk about our desires. We don't feel like we have the resources that we need in order to access reproductive care and STI um, testing and consent conversations like because we're just taught to not talk about it. If we do talk about it, it's hypersexualized and not based in anything real. Um, and I think that's what gets a lot of us fucked up. It, it prevents us from actually knowing who we are and demanding that that be respected in the places that we find ourselves loving. So I think that having some of these conversations and why I want to write about it is it's just a matter of how can I be loved well, regardless of who I am and what body I'm in, how can I love myself well? And how can I teach people to love me well for, for who I am? And I think once we get to where that shame lives, um, once we address that, it will have a way of sprinkling it all throughout our lives and for the better. We just go to a, a writer, her name is Calissa Ray, and she's a poet. And um, her book is basically about her, her, her sexuality, her self-discovery of her being um, a, a queer woman. And one of the things that she talks about to us was taking the time. She said, I had to take time and take time away from just dating in general, just to figure out yes. where I was, what it was that I wanted for myself, how I wanted to be pleasured through this process. And those things, those, those things that which will help me get to that, to that place yes. and then say, okay, this is, this is where I exist. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, letting her partner know, like, you know, you, you may be male, but I just want you to know, like, this is where I am yes. right now. Now, if you want to go, you want to ride, you can ride. Otherwise, you know, I just want you to know, you can, you also say goodbye. And it really speaks a lot to when you're trying to find exactly where you are, where you are in that, mm -hmm. in that space. And uh, I, I love where we are in, in the world right now, where we're understanding what that discovery is and that we can all be sexually fluid if we yes. chose, if, we, if you want to do it and yes. find exactly where, what it is that you want for, for yourself. Yeah. Um, so as we come to the end of our time together, we always like to ask a very important question of all of our guests. And that question is, we want to know your top five favorite books of all time. My top five favorite books of all time. <clears throat> Their Eyes Were Watching God. <laughs> That's your favorite uh, book. Yeah, I love I love that book. Uh, <laughs> That's your favorite book. Yes. <laughs> Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um, let me get the full name right. 
uh, Zami, a new spelling of my name. The body is not an apology. I read that after the American Airlines situation and like dead ass saved my whole being. Like Sonia Renee Taylor returned me back into my body through that book. She definitely um, damn. The color purple. Yes. Damn, can I pick two? Oh, you, the color purple or the bluest eye. It would go, it would go, the, it would go to the color purple. I will say the bluest eye. Mm-hmm. Well, I say the bluest eye or jazz or mama day. Damn. <laughs> All right. You said top five, top five, but I also like really secret life of church ladies is genre setting for me. Like I have to put that book in my top. I didn't even know people wrote like that. Like, I didn't even know there, there was the ability to tell stories like that for such a specific group of people. And that is the group that is solidly why I'm here today is Mm -hmm. church ladies, Mm -hmm. good or bad. Um, so those will be my books. I know I gave you like probably eight, but we'll take take (laughs) them. <laughs> those are the ones those are the ones especially as a baby queer like Zami was like my shit so um yeah those those will be my books those will be it <laughs> well um are there any other future projects that you can tell us about or is everything right now under secret. under the rain <laughs> <laughs> i would say just ride with abundance and we can set the rest up you know like keep keep in um i'm really excited about what this work has opened me up to what it is made possible um and who's able to see my work now and my my real goal is to stay present with it you know like instead of running to the next thing like let me actually exist in this world of abundance and allow it to speak to me and call me into what what's next you know like allow that to build because I feel like it is a um it's a time traveler it's a it's a it's a spaceship it's my spaceship and I want to um really take it to where it it wants me to go so yeah, that's that, that's all I can say right now. But as things become available, you know, I will let y'all know on the internet. <laughs> all, all the social medias. All the social yes, media. and yes. We'll let you know. Uh, you can find Amber's work at amberabundance.com as well on Instagram and Twitter. What's your your handle on uh, Twitter? Is the same Amber, Amber Abundance? Yes, yeah, the same. Abundance. So, um, and if you uh feel your heart has been moved by this conversation and please. you want to put something in the collection plate yeah. please get her up <laughs> on the Venmo yes. Amber, uh, abundance as well as cash app she takes both forms yes the kind um, that jingles she- and the kind that folds amen yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> And if you feel touched by what she spoke about, you know, um, you feel free to email her at heyauntie at amberabundance.com. It has been a tremendous pleasure. Thank you so much oh, for much. answering. Thank my- y'all so much. This, yeah. this, this interview is top notch. I'm so glad to have met y'all. This was a highlight of my day and I'm so glad I got to show up in this capacity with you all. Thank you for your questions and 
your intentionality and tracking my ass down because sometimes that is not easy because <laughs> I just be wanting to lay down child but I really um thank y'all thank you thank all, you thank all you. that love comes back to you because um that what you're doing is moving the world we need mm-hmm. more of what you do please don't stop please creating and whatever whatever you're doing we're always watching if you want to talk we're here and yes. and we're going to try to figure out how we can bring this film to orlando we got to make it happen yeah i yep. and i love florida so so yeah that's my little once a year stop by but okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know when the when the when the when, when the world does right because we COVID is a it's bad over yes it's it's definitely stomping the yard again Mm -hmm. um but i'm wishing you all health and wellness and um that you're safe and sound and thank you so much for having me on your lovely show this was amazing thank you you are amazing keep (laughs) keep being abundant thank Thank you you. bye bye We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.